Welcome to Misfits and Rejects, a podcast about the lifestyle design of expatriates, travelers, entrepreneurs, and adventurers. I'm your host, Chapin Cruder. Enjoy. I didn't fit in America. With cocaine, there's just always too many guns and too many bad attitudes. I quit the limiting stories. Really try to overcome that fear. And right there, for any of your listeners, a lot of what I was to do in the rest of my life was formulated by the fact I just went and did it. Welcome to another episode of Misfits and Rejects. Today I'm joined by Alistair Stewart, a friend of mine down here in Nicaragua who I've gotten to know over the last few weeks. And, you know, seeing him and his wife down here with their beautiful son, Finn, I started to really get excited for all those people out there who might have the same desire to, you know, cut ties from wherever they're from and start a new life in a third world country or wherever it may be outside of the country of your origin. So I thought it'd be fun to bring him on and talk a little bit about his personal life, his past, and then the choices that him and his wife have made to bring their family now to Nicaragua. So with that said, Alistair, welcome to the show. Hey, well, thanks. Jacob. Yeah, thanks. no, it's stoked to have you, bud. And uh, it's a funny time right now because we're in Nicaragua and there's an election going on. So the country is dry and they don't serve alcohol at any establishment. They don't sell it at pulperias. And it's actually a very mellow night, Sunday night here in uh, Gigante Bay. You can actually tell the vibe is pretty mellow. Right. Super quiet on the beach. No giant bonfires. Right. But uh, being that we're locals and we know how to procure alcohol, we have had uh, you know, a few beers and are enjoying the evening. And yeah, we're just going to have a nice conversation. <laughs> totally. Um, so where were you born, dude? Uh, Cambridge, England. Okay. Um, yeah. Like proper, like where the university is that we all know. Totally. Just outside in a little village. Okay. And grew up in what kind of family? Um, my mom and dad stayed together and we lived in like a two up, two down, um, typical English house that the neighbor threw the wall and neighbor across the street, uh, a tiny postage stamp backyard. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but I mean, I've been to Cambridge before and there's a lot of fields. Like it's not like, yeah, like a huge yeah. city. No. And you can get out like, but even that like is all farmer owned, you know, like everything's owned in England. There's not much left but there is like wander rights like you can't you're allowed to wander across a farmer's land aren't you no there's pathways that are exist and there's like a lot of old like roman roads or roads between the churches that are public footpaths but uh you can't just go walking through you can't just go walk in any direction you there's designated public paths for you to walk out walk on interesting well it's funny because i was in scotland a year ago and and i know your parents are actually scottish um and in scotland i'm pretty sure you it's like the right to wander law like you are allowed to walk pretty much across any field to get where you want to go yeah and it's basically attached to england so how is it different <laughs> well i think in scotland like the agriculture is a little different like where i'm am in england it's like the breadbasket of England's like caught wheat and, uh, you know, all the grains. Whereas in Scotland, they, there's just sheep up there. There's not much else. So they wouldn't want you trampling on their crop. Right. Uh, okay. I see. I guess that makes sense. Yeah. Um, did you like Cambridge or were you always Yeah, I liked out? it. Um, I always wanted out of there though forever. Like as soon as I remember, I kind of wanted out of Cambridge. For what reason? Like just because, uh, 
I knew a bunch of people that had been there forever, you know, like, and I just saw that life as like kind of small, a minuscule like existence. Simple, like not venturing too far out of your comfort zone. Right. Like not anything wrong with that, but yeah, you sound like you had aspirations to maybe test yourself a little bit more. Totally. To change things and see different things like, yeah, and not just do the same as the generations before me. Okay. So then what was your first big trip out? Um, so I like got a job after school. I did like two years. I finished school at 18. And this is like high school. I'm assuming. For uh, you. no, you finish high school at 16 in England and then you do like two years of whatever you want. So I did like, a vocational course in, uh, it was like carpentry. Okay. So it's like learning a trade. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so I did two years of that and then worked for a company for a year and just saved, saved a bunch of money and got a flight to India when I was like 20. Yeah. I, I worked for two years after leaving school. So yeah, I was like 20 when I like got out. Cool. Cool. So you were 20 when you got out and you went to India. Like yeah. that's a giant jump, dude. Yeah. Like an English guy from Cambridge. <laughs> right. I mean, coming from a very small town <laughs> to go to India, like that's pretty full on, dude. Yeah, it was kind of full on. Let's talk about that. Where'd you land in India? I landed in Calcutta. Okay. And it took me like five attempts to like get out the doors of the airport. <laughs> Please, let's go in depth of this because I'd like to articulate a few stories I've heard after we hear yours. So you land in Calcutta after never traveling before and you were, you went to walk outside, but you're just what? Anxiety ridden, like fearful. Totally. Because of why? Just like the intensity of walking out of an airport in India, like poor starving children pulling on your legs and taxi drivers trying to like drag you from pillar to post. Right. Trying to get you to get in. <laughs> God knows where they're going to take you. <laughs> and so were you by yourself? Yeah, I was on my own. And then what was the final thing that pushed you out those doors and into the chaos? I think I got talking to like a cool taxi driver and he, you know, it worked out. You felt comfortable enough yeah, to get in his totally. taxi. He's like, I'm not going to do anything crazy. Like just get in. I'll take right. you. And what you went straight to a hostel that you had already. Yeah. I had booked one night in this pretty cool hostel in Calcutta. Um, it was this old English lady who had been there for years and years. And she had a, um, it like harkened back to colonial times. It's like this, Cologne, this little like hostel hotel thing, super cheap. Um, but yeah, she had like pictures of the queen all over the walls and stuff. It was kind of like nice to. So it was like you just kind of came home, but you didn't get it for a second. That's so cool. I stayed in the Salvation Army in Calcutta. When I was oh, there. cool. And uh, that was that was kind of cool too. But I mean, for those who are listening who have never been to India. I mean, India is an experience that everyone should have in this life. doesn't mean everyone's going to like it, but it's something that you should probably experience once because it is on another level right. of stimulation. I mean, your eyes, your nose, your mouth, your ears are stimulated 24-7. And no matter who you are, no matter how tough you are, you will come to a point when you're in India that you have to leave because yeah. you can't handle it anymore. I lasted three months and I was over it. Like I couldn't do it anymore. Right. How long did you last? Three months. Three months. And then the thing about it is like, as soon as you get on the plane out of there, you're like, what did I do? Why did I leave? Like I should go back right now. <laughs> Not me, brother. I was no. going to Thailand. I was happy to be going. I haven't been back since. I always knew that I've, I'd probably have one more trip in me 
to go back and really give it another shot. But it was so full on. And totally. the beauty of the place is just so profound in so many ways. And things that you just described, you know, the poverty will just like trip you out as well. Right. But at the same time, you see that the poorest people and the joy that they still have in their, on their face. Totally. It's just incredible. Yeah, that place was incredible. Yeah. So that's cool. So, I mean, yeah, so you were there for three months, but then what happened? Where'd you go next? Did you go I went to, to No, I went to, uh, I flew from there to Singapore and then I had a flight from Singapore to, so it was like a three stop flight that I got. Yeah. And then from Singapore, I went to like, uh, it went to Brisbane. But yeah, I had like six months in Asia, six months in Southeast Asia. Cool. And then, uh, so I went from like Singapore up through um, Malaysia and into Thailand and then up to Laos. And I really liked Laos. I ended up staying a bunch of time there and then went south again through Thailand to the islands and then all the way back down south to Singapore. Cool. And that was just all from the money you saved? Did you make any money on the road? No, yeah, that was just from the money I saved when I was... What were you spending a day, you think? Man, what were hostels back then? Like, India was insane. I think I was spending like 70 rupees on a bed. And that's 40, $40 or 40 rupees of the dollar back in the day. Yeah. So, so it was like, like a buck, buck 50. 50 for a bed. Yeah. And then a 30 rupee tali plate. Mm-hmm. Which is less than like, 75 cents, roughly. Right. So I was spending like two bucks a day. Right. Probably still could do that. Probably hasn't changed too much. Yeah, right. Um, so did that bug just bite you? I mean, was that just like, this is it for me? This is the life I want to lead after those, that, that's, how long were you gone? Six months, a year? Um, well, then I flew to Australia and I ended up staying there for a long time. Like, oh, you uh, did the work visa? Yeah, I got the work visa for the year. And I ended up staying like six months longer than I was supposed to. Okay. Illegally? Illegally, no yeah. Way. So they, I guess they told me I wasn't allowed back for three years after the end of it. But um, yeah, that was cool. Like I got into Brisbane and I bought myself like a really shitty sedan, like four seat, four door, you know, car. And um, I drove that thing all the way around. So I drove it from Brisbane to Sydney to Melbourne, up to Darwin, back to Brisbane. And then I sold it for what I paid for it. Which was what? Like 2000 bucks, I think. Okay. Australian dollars. And I sold it for what I paid for it and then hitched down to Sydney. Okay. So yeah, for all you listeners out there, there's a thing that anybody can do where you can go and get a work travel visa in Australia and you can do it all the way up until you like the day before you turn 31 years old, you can apply for it and you will get it. It's like 200 us dollars. That's what I paid. And you get to work and travel legally in Australia for a year. And then it's also very easy to renew that and get another year. And then you hear a lot of people then getting their residencies and staying, but right. Did you do a full year? Yeah. Okay. I only did six months. I was kind of burnt out on it. Like right. I felt like I was in America Right, I, totally. I already lived in Nicaragua for like, you know, I think like at that point, like six years or something like that. And like, was really in love with the third world lifestyle. So right. saved everything I could to go to India, <laughs> get out of Australia. Even though yeah. Australia is a beautiful giant country that's worth exploring. It's, it's great, but 
Yeah. It wasn't for me at that time. Yeah, no, I, um, it was pretty easy. Like it was an easy existence. It wasn't like being in the third world. You know, it didn't, there wasn't like the, the roughness or the sketchiness or anything. Mm-hmm. Just cruising around. I just slept in the passenger seat of that little car and had a surfboard so tied to the bottom. Dude. Yeah, it was. I got so good at sleeping in that car, dude. So good at it. That's funny. And then did you go back after this? No, I'd never been back. I mean, and I guess I, not Australia. Sorry. Did you go back to England after this, this whirlwind tour around yeah, the world? Yeah. And set up shop there? Yeah, I went back to England for a while and then... um and kept traveling around a little bit. I was like bumping around Europe on those cheap flights whilst they were, whilst they were cheap. Um, but yeah, like worked, worked England for a while. Doing what? Doing like remodels, carpentry, okay. construction. What you had learned in your yeah. or college or whatever. Totally. Um, me and my buddy kind of had, had this little business running together. And then how many years was that? Four or five? 25, 26, yeah, four or five years in England. And then you went back out because you were also back to India at some point as well. And then you went to Pakistan. No, that was um, on that first trip. We were up like way up in the mountains. We never went south. We just, or I, the thing about India was when you traveled, you always like ended up with somebody else. Mm -hmm. Like, there's always somebody else to travel with. Yeah, it's so foreign. You just gravitate towards that person. Yeah, like, totally. Where are you going? I'll go wherever you're going. <laughs> yeah. <dude." laughs> yeah, you pick up buddies all, all along the way. So, yeah, we we got we went from um, Calcutta to Varanasi and from Varanasi to Delhi and then to Agra and then around Rajasthan and then up to Ubud and then over to the border with Pakistan. Interesting. Now, for those listeners out there, like the border of India and Pakistan has been contested for a long time. And it's almost like a tourist attraction if you're really up for an adventure. Right. It sounds like you were. I've never been. Can you describe what that experience is like? Because, I mean, it's like hostile. Like, yeah. It, it's, a, it's a show every day of like power. They, totally. They get out there. I like, don't even know what it'd be like now. I'm sure it, it's like way. I'm sure it's gnarly now, just like due to 9-11 and, mm-hmm. you know, the American presence in Pakistan and like the war in Afghanistan. And, Cause I was there like a long time ago now. It's almost 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so I luckily missed that whole war on terror thing. But, but you still said, it. I mean, you were there. It was pretty gnarly. Like <laughs> every day they're like out there parading around, like trying to, Trying to hoop and holler in front of each other and stuff. <laughs> Are these like gangs, you think, of like, you join a gang to go like represent your border? Or is it just like the common man who, who likes to participate in this like... Hoop-up? No, it's like the military, like... Oh, it is? Yeah. Oh, it's not citizens, it's no, military. No, yeah, they're straight military, like... Oh, okay. I mean, I'm sure there's some... Yeah, I'm sure there is like a few people that go to hoop and holler too, but like a lot of like just the military pomp and you know, like ceremony just to like jeer at the other side is kind of hilarious in India Mm -hmm. and Pakistan. And so, yeah, I mean, for, I mean, I have a lot of, you know, American listeners, what's Pakistan like, dude? I mean, I don't think a lot of, yeah, I didn't get far into it. I just like bumped across the border and then like came back, but, uh, you were there for three weeks though. I mean, that's enough time to at least taste the culture and the people and were they kind, were they helpful? Yeah. Everybody was super cool. Um, 
it was yeah it was just really it was a really beautiful place like um super mountainous green was the food good yeah did you get sick no i mean it's kind of sick a lot in <laughs> india <laughs> like, we all are, like, and that's thing, folks you will get sick yeah. it's, like, it's gonna happen <laughs> yeah i mean yeah it's just the runs and yeah, diarrhea and throwing up. Yeah, a little bit of throwing up. Around. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty dirty. It's hard to like, you know, you'd pretty much have to have like a machine that spritzed you with alcohol at all times if you wanted to like try to stay clean, stay sterile. Yeah. Um, did you socialize with anybody in Pakistan? I mean, were you, did you get to like talk to a girl or is that kind of forbidden? Um, yeah, no, there's no really talking to girls <laughs> yeah. so most of your conversations are with males right and they're inquisitive about you and your culture and right you're not drinking because it's probably a dry yeah, country super dry could you even get alcohol uh like no right, yeah, i didn't ask you didn't even ask no but you smoked a lot of hashish yeah there was some hashish up there for sure and that's legal there is like legal bang shops um in india in can you Pakistan? explain what a bang shop is uh it's like so the government grows marijuana pretty much mm-hmm. and sells it in forms of like milkshakes and um i don't remember if you could buy like bags of grass you could definitely like buy bag like pre-made milkshakes and stuff and you think the government's doing this because it collects so much taxes on it? Or? I think so, right? Hmm. Isn't Pakistan also make a lot of like poppies and like heroin and stuff? Like yeah, that? right. Did you see a lot of dope fiends there? There was definitely like, there was definitely some dope. Not that I was paying much attention to it at 20 yeah. years old. Yeah, did you see, I mean, were there expats there who you know had been there for a long time just getting high? Yeah, for sure. Really? Like old crusty hippies. Really? Like from all walks of life all over the world? Totally. Um, can, does one stand out? Like, was it a German? I always say there's like always going to be a German dude. Right. In any corner of this world, there's probably been a German who's been there first. Right. I don't know why it came to me, but it's like that's one thing I remember from traveling. It's like, yeah, there was definitely like, there's this cool guy in Calcutta who I probably should have like, he wanted me to like come with him south. Mm-hmm. And... I didn't, and I probably should have gone with him because he was cool. And I'm sure, like, he'd been there a bunch of times and he'd been traveling around and around India for a really long time. But, um, yeah, I missed him. But, yeah, he does stand out in my mind, like, what would have happened if I'd, like, got on the road with that guy? Do you remember his name? No. I met a German guy in this small island in the Andamans. And he looked like he was like 22, but I found out he was like 40. And he was like a motorcycle racer back in Germany and been touring India for years as well. And uh, it was just a fascinating individual. And then being in Goa, where you see all these old German hippies who have living in the bushes since the 60s. Right. And they're just like on a whole nother level. Totally. <laughs> like waking up, just walking through the jungle naked to go swim and the beach they've been living on for the last like 40 years. Right. <laughs> wild so then you know the the travel thing is cool we all like to do it we see the world with it um were you always hoping to maintain that sort of lifestyle or was it 
Yeah, for sure. I always wanted to like at least get out of trying to be part of Babylon. Like I don't like I didn't want to. I always wanted to have a reason to like be living somewhere remote and far away from from the established West. Is that right. kind of what you're saying? Right. Because you then you had took an opportunity to go live down in Spain, like what you kind of described as like a commune kind of. Setting. Yeah, I took my bike. So, um, me and my partner Summer broke up for a while, for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. We've been dating for maybe like three years, and we broke up. And she went to um, Bangladesh to work. She got a job with. Um, the Asian University for Women. She was the nurse there. Okay, yeah, she's a nurse by trade. Right. And um, so that was cool. Like, she it was trying to empower women in Asia. Super cool cause. And I got, got myself a nice bicycle and, like, took the boat from... Cycled to the boat and then took the boat across to... Um, France? Bilbao. Northern Spain. Really? Yeah. How long does that take? Uh, it's like, it's a while. It's like, I want to say it's like eight hours. I forget. Okay. I think it's like eight hours. Um, and yeah, and then took, got on my bike there and cycled. Um, and I wanted to cycle all the way around the coast of Spain and Portugal. Um, so I cycled from Bilbao to Paloma. Pamplona, sorry. And then from Pamplona to Barcelona and then Barcelona down the coast. And when I got to, um, I got to the corner of Spain, um, Almeria is the state, I forget the town. Cabo. Yeah, I forget the town. But, um, I got to the corner of, I got down there and then some guy was like, you should go to Olkiva because like, I think it will, I think you'll like it. And like, I'd been right on the corner there. It's just desert. Like, and it was rough, the cycling, because like by the middle of the day, the, the wind picks up on the med and it just blows straight at, it was just blowing straight at me like every day, like just cycling into a headwind. And I was just like, this is rough. And then, um, I bypassed into the valley, uh, it's called the Alpajaras. Um, and suddenly it's like stuff started getting green and then there was like running water and I was just like, oh, like, wow, I found it, man. Like this place is cool. And, um, I guess I wasn't the first one to find it because the hippies had been there before me and I was like, there was this big hippie commune way up in the hills called Beneficio. And then there was like down in the river bed, river valley, there was a bunch of like punk hippies, like uh, English punk hippies. New were, age hippies. Yeah, new age hippies all living down like in the, in the river bed. And what, you just cycled up and like, hey, I'm Alistair, can I join your crew? Yeah, I, uh, I showed up in town and the guy that... Um, there was this guy called Danny who had like a great energy about him. Um, and he was running this like veg shop called 
Verduras Locos or Okay. Verduras Locos, veggies, crazy, yeah, crazy, crazy veggies. And um yeah, he was I was like, Hey dude, do you need someone to like help you out or whatever? Like and he was like, Yeah, totally. We take people we got like rooms, like um you can do stuff around my place or you can help us with the shop or whatever. So I did like two weeks of helping him out and um and then we went to a party one night and I um met some people there and they were like, Hey, we've got this big house, like you could totally live here, like if you want and so I ended up staying with those guys and then they all moved out and I was like left with the house. But I was also left with like five dogs and a bunch of other <laughs> goofy shit to look after. But it was cool, it was so nice down there. Are you paying rent? Like No, it was all just like everything was so free a house down that there. people squat in? Yeah, everyone was like there was all squatted houses, like everybody had left the Alpajadas, you know, like apart from the really old uh, granajeros the farmers and so um yeah it was kind of just like a free-for-all like no private property like this there is was like- some private property and like unfortunately the <clears throat> the germans had like started instructing these these rules to the place like the germans <laughs> yeah <laughs> they definitely like changed the vibe a lot down there but um yeah it like was german kind of- hippies yeah, they'd start. They like, got old, and then they'd started putting fence around fence around stuff. So I mean, this is cool though. So I mean, you'd gone back to England after breaking up with Summer, your now wife, to, to try to something new. You save a little cash, get on your bicycle. You just have a goal set for yourself. You're gonna ride around Spain and Portugal, right? Along the way, you hear of a little town that you might like. You happen to be going that direction. You pull in. Right. Someone takes you in. How long do you live there for? I lived there for like a year and a half. No way. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just barter system? Like you're not making money? Uh, yeah, I wasn't really making much money. I was like, I had a garden going. And vegetables, like there was food. Like the food was never an issue. So all you had to do was buy beer and cigarettes. Yeah. And what about like weed and stuff? I mean, obviously hippies love their weed. Yeah, there was some grass there too. And uh, we had this cool grass. Uh, we had the, So there was a bunch of prickly pear growing. Mm-hmm. And we cut like a, a tunnel through the prickly pear. And then we had water going out there. And we had like this pretty good little grow up like in right the in the of- middle of a giant cactus. No way. Yeah. That's cool. <laughs> so grass was free and... Food was pretty much free, and yeah, it was a pretty simple life. And so, how did you reconnect with Summer? Um, my brother passed, and uh, she came back for his funeral, and and yeah, we just got back together at that point. That's cool. Yeah, it was cool. Yeah, because she's an American. Yeah, and so you're British, she's American, and then you got back together, and it's like, let's get married. Um. Yeah, or we we pretty much decided that we could make it, we wanted to make it work. And yeah, after that, everything kind of just lined itself up. We thought about living in Spain, but um, there wasn't huge opportunities there. Like, it seemed like if we were going to go, Summer had a bunch of school loans to pay off. And so we figured, like, the best way to, like, do all of that was to 
go to the States and, and make it. Cause she's originally from like the Seattle area. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Cause you went out there and um, it's kind of not obviously not third world, but you moved to a very remote Island and like you bought property out there. Right. right. And what's that like? I mean, what's, what's, so, I mean, now you're living in Nicaragua, you and summer and your son Finn, but you do have a pretty, pretty cool property up in Seattle. Right. I mean, and what'd you do with that? Um, yeah, right now there's like, it's all rented out. I got, uh, I got three houses on there. Did you build all three houses? No, two of them were already there. There was a double wide there, like a big, uh, mobile home trailer. Mm -hmm. And then there was a two car garage that got converted into a two bedroom bathroom kitchen before me. And then I built a shipping container house and a cabin in the woods. Um, I mean, how many acres is this? It's five, five, five acres. acres in the woods on a small island. What's the island called? Vashon. Vashon. Yeah. And I mean, this obviously isn't a small endeavor. Like it right. took, took a lot of time to I'm assuming build up and even pay for. Totally. So you came back and, and you're living in the States now as a, a European doing what for work? Uh, I worked on Vashon and the cool thing about that place is, um, although it's like, pretty local yokel like small rednecky mm. there's a bunch of rich people from seattle that own second homes there so i did a bunch of like remodeling and carpentry work for those guys um and yeah i did some work in the city too but like after a while just ha had enough work on fashion that i didn't have to go across okay is it a ferry yeah okay it's like a 45 minute ferry got it and then I know you did a stint in Alaska as a fisherman. Yeah, I've been doing like, I've been going there for four years. Fishing. How old are you now? I mean, dude, you're like... Mm, 34. 34. You've lived a life of like <laughs> 60-year-old, dude, all the things that you've done. Um, yeah, so you've been going to Alaska for the last four years doing what, salmon fishing? Yeah, salmon fishing. And it was interesting. I wanted to bring this up within this conversation because um, I haven't been in the States for a long time and... I know the whole Trump thing brings up a lot. Now you've been living there as a European. Um, but you said something interesting that, you know, the export or not export, but the deportation of all the immigrant workers because of Trump has really affected the fishing industry. Right. It's not even the deportation. It's that um, every year they give a bunch of visas to temporary workers for all sorts of things. But like... Um, in the salmon industry, they give them to Puerto Ricans and, um, no, not Puerto Ricans, um, people from Dom Dominican Republic. Okay. And, um, and then Northern Europeans like, um, Poles and Lithuanians and stuff who come and work the canneries and cut fish, like just cut fish. Hmm. Um, and this year they, they didn't give those visas out. So like the canneries had to hire from ta like cities in the U S and stuff. And they just hired people. They just hired a bunch of kids that couldn't work, like couldn't do it. Couldn't didn't keep up, it. didn't want to work, didn't want to do the hours. Interesting. Let's talk more about this. Cause I'm really interested in this. So, I mean, what what is this kind of like? So they have a temporary visa system they give to these other 
countries and they come and they, they obviously crush it. They do. They make good money. They obviously do good work to get invited back. And they work crazy hours. Yeah, so like, let's talk. Like, what's the, what's the hourly wage? What kind of hours are you actually working? What's the pace in which you need to, like, keep up in order to get all this food processed? Yeah, the cannery's insane. I've I only ever been, like, outside of a cannery. I've never been in it. But there's And there's a few crazy boat canneries. So you're just on a big processing ship oh you're on a ship where you process the fish yeah some of them are processing ships okay interesting um and those things are gnarly like super gnarly like Like dangerous or just just monotonous like (laughs) the same thing over and over every day for like two months okay yeah the fish come in such pops you know like you could catch all the fish from one season in 10 days of 15 days because you have a limit or just because you just catch because that's how they swim like they come when they come they come real quick and you literally catch all the fish yeah you let like this year for instance the river they wanted they called out for 200,000 reds 200,000 sockeye to swim up the river that was their guesstimation that's what they wanted for their so you, you're allowed to then get 200,000, they, well, they say they want 200,000 to pass to without spawn, being touched, yeah. to spawn. Oh, yeah. okay. And you were telling me what, they have literally people standing on a river with little clickers? Yeah, there's counting. like, yeah, there's towers, a bunch of university kids, like, doing volunteer hours or whatever with clickers, like. Trying to count. Trying to count reds, yeah. <laughs> so there's a little room for error. There's probably some margin for error. Totally, totally. Yeah, I mean, the whole thing is... um it's pretty amazing that they get so close to figuring out the fish runs mm-hmm. and like it's really an amazing uh undertaking and just a manipulation of a wild fishery like it is a wild fishery in some aspects but not really like if it was wild the fish would run in big ebbs and flows and troughs but because they control the population going up and down, up the river, they um, they can predict predict what comes the next year. Okay, and they keep getting the same returns because the salmon like eggs have this amount coming out of them. They have two hundred thousand in there. Do a little bit of math. Say this is potential this many living throughout the season, so we can guesstimate that right. X Y Z will show up next year. Right. Okay. Interesting. But they'll be out at sea for like five to seven years. So that's also like an unpredictable, like you don't know. Oh, really? I didn't know that. You're not like going for the next year's fish. You're going for like, they'll swim for three, four, maybe five, six years out there. How and far out? Back. They get all over. It's hard to, I'm not sure they've really even tracked where all they go, but they, they get out there. Hmm. They swim pretty far. So this year you had a bunch of. So it was seven million fish came up the river this year. Oh wow! And you know, so they said that two hundred thousand had to pass, and then they pretty much want you to kill everything else. Okay. And you had a bunch of educated, but not people with high work ethics, college kids, right? (laughs) No, I think it was more like uh, uneducated, like street kids. Oh, trying to. Trying to and was it disastrous? I mean, are we going to hear about this in the next years? Like, 
canned tuna, um, canned salmon. Uh, I think they managed to get kind of on top of it, but it really, like, the one cannery really, really struggled. Like, they put, had to put their whole fleet on limits uh, pretty early. they couldn't which, process Because it they couldn't keep up. And if they had all those migrant workers, they probably would have been... They would have kept up and, you know, they would have... People would have made a lot more money in that cannery. It worked out great for us because our cannery, like, made it work and... Interesting. We didn't have to... So, yeah, can you take us through then, you know, the years? You've been doing it four years now. The the amount of time that you're actually on the boat, what you're doing, and then the wage that you kind of get afterwards? So, yeah, every year is different. Um... I started off my first year, I flew up for like nine days and just did like a peak spot on the boat. So there was already two guys. There's usually two to three people working it. It's a small boat. It's like 30, 34 feet long and 12 feet wide or they're getting wider, mm-hmm. but there's a limit on this, on the length. Okay. So they're all 34 feet. Um, and yeah, every year you see wider and wider boats out there, but I'm sure they'll curtail the width at some point too. Um, but yeah, the, so that first year I flew up and there was two guys that had already been on for a while and the skipper, uh, my buddy John. Um, and so I just flew up for nine days and like really enjoyed it. Did good. I made like five, 5,000 bucks in, in nine, nine days. days and you're dragging nets. Is that what you're doing? Yeah, it's a net that floats. Okay. Eight feet deep. And you just catch them, then you put them in the hole. Yeah. And And then flash freeze them? Yeah, you don't freeze them. You you chill them down to like 33 degrees. I don't want them frozen. You can't like start freezing them because they've got to cut them pretty soon. Oh, okay. Um, But yeah, there's a big, there's a big roller and a reel. And you chuck the net off it, you drive it off the boat mm-hmm. and then, um, and then you reel it in and you have to pick the fish out of, out of the net and they get all tangled up in the net in all sorts of ways. So you have to like, there's a bunch of different techniques to try and get fish out of net. Okay. And, um, you work in obviously crazy hours. Yeah. Just crazy hours. 24 hours at a time. Totally. Two hours sleep, if you can even sleep. Right. And then nine days, five grand. Yeah. And then... Uh, so that was sh- the first year, and then uh, every year has got a bit better for me. I mean, the second year kind of sucked because, uh, for some reason, the price crashed. Okay. Um, and they paid 50 cents a pound for something that the year before they'd paid a buck 50 a pound for. So you can imagine, like, like we caught that year, we caught 160,000 pounds of fish and we we're expecting to get a buck 50 for it, which would have meant the boat made, uh, $225,000 or something. And instead it made 60, 60 wow. grand. Okay. And that's split between three people and the skipper and gas and food. And, you know, they're, big engines like mm-hmm. you fly in like a 900 horse you probably go through like 60 gallons of di- diesel a day crazy and then this year was good and then this mm-hmm. year was just insane it was so good um there was just a ton of fish we didn't get we just caught fish and the 
every year, like, um, a lot of it's to do with the dynamic of the crew. And most of my years, it's been good. The third year was really hard. I worked with girls, two girls, and one of them didn't want to work. The other one worked real hard. But um, they both had their monthly cycle whilst mm-hmm. we were fishing. So they were like not super energized. Got it. And I did most of everything that year, I felt like. Okay. But it worked out. It was right. good. Right. And then this year was great. I worked with two dudes. They worked really hard. Um, and yeah, the price was good. There was lots of fish. Can you share with like what you walked with? I mean, you said you did like three weeks and you made like what? About 30 grand. Three weeks. Yeah. And that's obviously not guaranteed. That just was the year. Right. You know, and I mean, that's crazy. So was that then having that little extra cash flow? Was that just the right moment in time then to start thinking about? Yeah, it, it really motivated or helped us to motivate a lot more and, and to like finish stuff at home and get everything rented out. And mm. Because really, the ultimate goal was to what? I mean, come to Central America and start a new life with Finn or? Right. Okay, so that was it. Just yeah. like get that on autopilot back home, right. get some passive income from the rental unit. Totally. And then let's start something new in Central America. Totally. And Nicaragua was all your first choice or was it just because? We bounced around on places to go, but yeah, um, Nicaragua was like definitely, uh, pretty much top of the list. For what reason? Just, um, well, we both really like want to f- complete learning Spanish. Okay. I've been trying to learn Spanish for so many years now. Yeah. And, uh, as am I. (laughs) (laughs) So we got to pull that off here. Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, there's less people here, like the less, the least visited country in Central America. Um, pretty beautiful and green Mm and yeah. And, and it's like ticked all the boxes. It's like, it's pretty rad here. Did you have a game plan of sorts to like, get here and start a business or, um, no, not so much. Um, summer wants to do something with like, um, um, with health yeah. for people. Um, so yeah, we're trying to like make that work. Um, there's a clinic here in town that needs to, be a clinic again so maybe mm. that maybe that can work out it's not that's not a boatload of money though considering it's a the no. healthcare system here is free right <laughs> totally yeah we i'm pretty much just going to rely on fishing at this point in time and like bounce back up there oh okay you'll return for yeah. those three week, right. week windows right crush it hopefully yeah come back for some cash well and then yeah as, as long as this rental property keeps chucking me 800 bucks a month Got it. Yeah, that's cool. So you make 800 bucks off your rentals that's in your pocket to do with and write down here as you please. Right. Nice. Good for you. Yeah. And then you have little Finn. Finn's what, five? Uh, he's four. He's four. Yeah. And cute as can be. I mean, right. We live in a, a small village and you obviously want him to have exposure to culture and new things. And But what about education for him? Yeah, we've been thinking about um, either starting an English school for the kids in town and seeing if like he you will have a group of friends due to that mm-hmm. 
someone's been talking about putting putting him into school here. Like the public school? Yeah, for a second. Wow, that'd be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> He'd be teaching the teacher probably. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I'm sure that would be a huge, uh, a huge game changer for him too. I mean, he hasn't really done any formal schooling. He's done some daycare stuff. Um, but yeah, some formal like... So back home, I mean, four years old, like he could have been going to like a pre-K or something yeah, like that. Yeah, he did some pre-K stuff back there. He did like um, a couple of really cool... Seattle has a bunch of options for like... Uh, um, for different types of schooling for young kids. Got it. You know, like Wahlberg uh, and mm-hmm. uh, all sorts of alternative schooling efforts. Mm-hmm. And then, so, I mean, it seems like the goal is primarily to come live a little bit of alternative lifestyle, get your Spanish solid um, to then what? I mean, really, like, make a, like, live here forever or just give it a go for a few years? And- yeah, I mean, at this point in time, I'm not, like, I think summer's more, like, this is we're trying to build a home and for me i'm just like you know i'm whatever let's just see how how it rolls and Mm -hmm. you know maybe every year we'll go somewhere different or who knows that's cool yeah any more kids on the horizon no not right now yeah but maybe in the future (laughs) it's nice traveling just with one yeah yeah what's (laughs) it like i mean for all the parents out there who do seek this, this type of lifestyle what's it like traveling with a little one it's definitely, it's definitely hard. Why though? Uh, just like he is, was pretty happy with his surroundings up there. Oh, and okay. so like to throw him out of that has been a, a game changer for him. But also, you know, like um, trying to time things and do things that work for him instead of f- for personal, for us. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, is definitely. What have you noticed mostly in his behavior that has you could say like, oh, that's because we we pulled him out of some place he liked. <laughs> he does ask. He's like, so when are we going? When are we going home? Like, <laughs> so he misses it. Yeah, for sure, he misses it, and he misses his friends there and stuff. Interesting. Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah, as a family, I I can imagine that you as a, you move as a unit, you know it's going to be okay because you're moving as a unit. And you just know that love and support is going to carry you through. Right. And I think most families just know that's probably how it's going to work. But then you, you see the effects it does have on little Finn and you start to ever question. Your Absolutely. Decisions. Yeah. And you start to think, well, maybe that wasn't the right thing for us to do to him. Or, I mean. Or maybe he'll resent it or something. Okay. But. Interesting. Um, you don't meet too many kids later in life who say they resent their parents for that. Right. I have met a few though. Yeah. So, you know, and they had very gypsy parents taking him around the world and all they wanted was just to be home. And like, and now they've got to make their lives as like homebodies in whatever country they are from. Right. It's like, they don't want to travel anymore. They hated it. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> so it is interesting. I mean, it's not always like a sure thing. Right. But. Yeah, it's amazing that con- you have this conception of how everything's going to f- work out. And then, yeah, for a four-year-old, like, he's not thinking on the same lines as, like, as us, for yeah. sure. He'd Is get- he able to, like, does he have little friends in the village, like Nicaraguan friends? Um, not so much. Like, we've been here about a month. And so, um, 
yeah, he needs to, we need to try and seek that out a little bit. Got it. More proactively for him. Got it. Because you're not like comfortable just letting him run into the village and make his own friends. Right. Got it. Fair enough. (laughs) I mean, yeah, you got to take baby steps. But yeah, it's been cool that John's, uh, John's kids have been around. Yeah. Right. John is a friend of uh, Summers from back in the day and, um, everyone has children now and John's episode 27 for anybody who wants to listen to it. It's a good one. Um, that's cool, man. I mean, it's really cool that you've, you know, designed your life in this way and chosen the things that you've chosen and done what you wanted. I mean, it doesn't sound like you necessarily made too many choices that left you in a situation that you were really unhappy with. It sounds like you moved away from anything that you weren't happy with, you know, right. And just kept trying to seek out and design that life that you always wanted. Is that about right? Yeah. And life's always been good to me. Like I've never had to struggle too much. Like mm. work's always shown up. I've never, but you are putting your best foot forward and like, you don't just sit around. You're, you're looking for it. You right. Know? Like how'd you score that job in Alaska? Um, yeah, I knew, th- well, actually Summer's brother had been going. Okay. Um, but yeah, I knew, um, I knew the, my first skipper. Okay. And then I worked two years with him. And then, um, after that second year, it was kind of rough, like 50 cents. I'd been up there for like, I'd been up there for nine weeks and Finn was a year old or something. And so it was just like, not a good, it was just too much. Got it. And then the next year, um, another skipper asked me like, if I wanted to come and do a three week stint. I was like, yeah, totally. I could do that. That's helpful. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. So I kind of do this peak thing up there where you, where I fly in, the boat's just leaving the dock. Like I don't do any boatyard time. And then. Do they fly you up? No, I fly myself up. I just fly, I could get a flight off of the skipper, but I like getting my own just because I can change it. Mm-hmm. I can get the flight when I want to. Got it. He's not booking the flight for me. Like I can, I can pick my times instead yeah. of him picking my times. Oh yeah, I hear you saying. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, like this year I jumped on a tender, and which is like the boat that takes fish from the grounds to the cannery. Okay. And got out of there like, um, it actually turned out I got out of there five days before everybody else. Like, oh, nice. So, yeah. Yeah, it's nice. To, they call it the rock star gig. And I Is kinda, it? I like you, it. You get like resentful for it? Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> There's no cleaning. Uh, There's no boatyard time. Oh, yeah. God, boat cleaning sucks. <laughs> yeah, we had um, Lisa Grimm on talking about she's a yachty. I mean, yachty in the sense like she works on yachts, not that she owns them. And, right. Um, just the stories that she tells and what I've heard about the industry, like there's tons of money to be made, but man, it's a hard run. Totally. You know, and she works, she's a, she's a professional chef. So she's down below decks, like not feeling well when the, when the seas are high, still having to make food for everybody. Oh, and gnarly. So gnarly. <laughs> what about your family in England? I mean, do they miss you? They want to see Finn more? Like, how does that work? Yeah. We usually, uh, try and see those guys like once or twice a year. Mm hmm. And in fact, I think they're going to fly. We were trying to see if they could get flights into Antigua. Oh, cool. Uh, for like January or something. Cool. For a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, because we're going to have to do our visas then anyways. Um, 
so yeah, those those guys usually come. My mom and dad usually come once or twice a year, and uh, yeah, we went there. Summer went there last year, and dropped Finn off for two weeks, and then went to see our friends in Italy. And Finn's comfy with that, like he knows yeah, he worked it out. It was good for him. It was definitely like one of those the first like without us for yeah. a chunk t- chunk of change. That's cool. Yeah, that was cool. <laughs> and so, wait, what did she go do? She just went to see some friends in Italy. Her oh, friend okay. had like a had a art show that she was like putting on, so someone flew out there to see. Sweet, it. Yeah. sweet. <laughs> you know, so for families out there who kind of want the same thing, would you ever? Do you have any advice to give them if they wanted to get out and try to do the same kind of lifestyle that you're leading? Yeah, just do it. Yeah, make it happen. Yeah, it's good to get kids out of. Uh, out of just the same same yeah early i think yeah it's a it's you know it's a common one that we close with a lot you know is get out and do it and i think that your story is one that you know you obviously had to make choices work right save some money right make some plays i mean you you moved to seattle and you were telling me that you you kind of had like a seven-year plan or you knew it was going to take a minute before you could get out on the road again Totally. Because you were passionate about the road, but you knew you had to kind of make some roots so you could get some of this positive cash flow from the rental units to help right. subsidize some of your payments on the road. And Yeah, that's definitely like, uh, you know, if you can figure out some way to make passive income, mm-hmm. like make it happen because, uh, yeah, it, it's way better than working every day for it. Yeah, I mean, you have a mortgage, like you took yeah. a loan, like... Yeah, I owe the bank a shit ton of money. But. Yeah, but I mean, you're, you've stacked it in your favor at this point. And, you know, right. And, and luckily, like, where that place is, like, the market's never going to crash. It's, it's, it's an island. It's yeah, it's a bubble. Grow. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the passive income thing is a big one, and we hear about it a lot. And for a lot of us, you know, it's it's hard to conceptualize comprehend like how am i going to make passive income i don't have the finances to buy land right get the rental units you know invest in something that you know is just way over my head you know and that's why i kind of chose the online business thing which is something that um you know wi-fi is is pretty accessible at starbucks for free totally more or less and you could go there and you could literally start building something that through learning, through YouTube or whatever, you could start generating some kind of income at some point. You know, this has taken me almost three years and I'm still not making any money, but right. I've learned enough that I know I will soon. Like I'm very close to starting to make money online. Right. And, and, and it will, and some of it will be passive for sure. Cause I've developed a surf course, you know, that's about to go live and totally do. It'll be an asset that lives online for forever if I want it to. Right. And as if I market it, you know, every few six months, then I can make a little bit more money. Probably. Yeah. It lives there and does its own thing at a certain totally. point. So, I mean, it is something that is a viable option, I think, for everyone out there. It's just really taking the time to figure out what works best for you and what you want out of life. You right. Know? Yeah. Hustle, like make it work because, right. uh, you're only young once and like, it's got to happen. Totally. So, I mean, you know, sometimes people want to learn more about the fishing thing. Um, cause I mean, for a lot of people, $30,000 in three weeks is a, is a good score. Right. But folks, it's not a guarantee. Like <laughs> he's worked a lot of, a lot of years where he didn't make that much. Right. And, um, but they could find you at what on Facebook at Alistair Stewart. Yep. Cool, man. I'll put that in the show notes and do uh, it. 
people can contact you for any kind of info that they might need. Right. Don't ask me for a job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it sounds like, what are you, the rock star of the, the crew? Like, you're not going to give that up. <laughs> Thanks for coming on, brother. I appreciate hey, it. Hey, no time. worries. Thanks, dude. Thank you for listening to Misfits and Rejects. I hope this inspire you to think about your life situation, where you're at, and possibly make a big decision to choose something different for yourself if you're unhappy with where you're at in life. I hope these people that I interview inspire you to go out, spread your wings, and try something new, to live a different lifestyle that maybe your whole life people were telling you was the wrong one, but when in fact it's the perfect one for you. And I'll see you next time.